Welcome to the Victoria Anarchist Book Fair's week of podcasts featuring local, national, and international activists and authors. Due to the ongoing global pandemic, the Book Fair Collective decided to move their event online again this year. So for the second year in a row, From Embers is teaming up with the Victoria Anarchist Book Fair to release presentations over our podcast platform. Recordings of these Voices of Resistance were conducted on unceded Indigenous territories across so-called British Columbia and beyond. For more information about the Book Fair and a full schedule of online events, check out victoriaanarchistbookfair.ca and listeners in the Victoria area are encouraged to visit Camus Books at 2620 Quadra Street or online at camus.ca for anarchist publications and more. And to find out more about our regular anarchist podcast, go to fromembers.libsyn.com or simply search From Embers in your favorite podcast app. Hello, my name is Kimberly Croswell. I would like to acknowledge my half of this interview is taking place on unceded occupied Lekwungen territory in what colonial Canada calls Victoria, British Columbia. The other half of this interview, shared with us today by Uri Gordon, is occurring in Leicester, in the East Midlands, which before the Roman conquest was in the territory of the Korotalvi Koritanian people. Uri Gordon is the author of several books and articles on contemporary anarchism, including Anarchy Alive, Anti-Authoritarian Politics from Practice to Theory, and Prefigurative Politics Between Ethical Practice and Absent Promise. He is co-editor of Anarchists Against the Wall, Direct Action and Solidarity with the Palestinian Popular Struggle, and the Rutledge Handbook of Radical Politics. Uri co-founded the Anarchist Studies Network, and his work has been translated into 13 languages. Thank you for joining me today, Uri. Thank you for inviting me. Very glad to be here. Uri, I reached out to you to discuss some of the issues surrounding the use of the terms prefiguration, or as it is more commonly referenced, prefigurative politics. Because as of late, the concept has become a rather hot topic in anarchist and anarchist-adjacent academic circles. I wanted to bring this discourse into a more activist context, and I'm seeking your perspective on how the theory and praxis has developed and where you imagine it might evolve. It's been three years since your essay, Prefigurative Politics, Between Ethical Practice and Absent Promise, first appeared in the journal Political Studies, with a variation of the text appearing on the Crime Think website. And I want to learn what kind of responses have you received for your work, but first, I think we should define the terms we are discussing. What do theorists and activists generally mean when they use the term prefiguration and or prefigurative politics? Right, so I mean, I guess the purpose of my article was to distinguish and separate between two different things, let's say between the prefiguration and the politics, Um, because the term prefigurative politics normally stands for uh, a radical ethos of unity between means and ends. It's it's an approach to doing politics, which is chiefly indebted to the anarchist tradition as well as the pacifist tradition where uh, the struggle against domination is accompanied by the uh, active construction of social alternatives and people try to uh, organize themselves and act in ways that are 
coherent with their values and that uh, are coherent with the type of social relations that they try to create. In other words, this is basically the regular anarchist principle of direct action. Yeah, so direct action means that, that you know, if we want certain social relations, we try to create them. We try to live as much as possible in, in, those, in those ways, and we try to organize also our oppositional struggles and campaigns along horizontal and anti-authoritarian lines. What I wanted to highlight in the article is the prefigurative idea itself, which, unlike this kind of means-ends unity that we talked about, and unlike this revolutionary ethics, is a way of imagining time. A prefiguration is an idea that is unknowingly drawn from Christian theology, where a future radiates backwards on its past, where the present, in a sense, is a figure which looks forward to its fulfillment in the future. Uh, the idea of a future radiating on, on the present is something that, uh, that I wanted to probe in this piece, uh, because I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a peculiar idea. I think it's a problematic idea. And I think that it doesn't really cohere with the way in which uh, anarchists have expressed their uh, emphasis on unity between means and ends, which involves uh, not a prefigurative uh, temporal framing, uh, but a regular sort of generative temporal framing where the, the present influences the future without prefiguration, without recursive influence from the future on the present. Uh, and, and those I try to show how, how those are expressed in, in the anarchist tradition while also giving the first kind of proper survey of, of those key utterances from people like Bakunin and Kropotkin and Emma Goldman uh, concerning uh, means and unity. So I'm, I'm really trying to look separately at this, at this temporal dimension of prefiguration uh, and, and, and to problematize it. So most of the authors who write about this, this term prefigurative politics completely ignore this, this resonance of, of the way of thinking about time, and they're just focused on, on the content, right, on, on this content of means ends unity. Um, but I think that, you know, it, the lack of attention to, to, this, to this echo uh, of, and, and which, which is preserved in the kind of literal yeah, uh, prefix of the word, uh, needed needed addressing um so you know it's it's not that i think that that people are actually sort of at the back of their minds having a a sort of semi theological view of of their role and so on um but i think it's something to pay attention to to how we think about time and how we uh might be avoiding uh looking at, at the future in terms of the consequences of what we're doing especially now that we're looking into a future where we do not, like a hundred years ago, have expectations of you know, an unproblematic revolutionary transformation, but where we're looking into a future where any kind of liberation happens in, in the context of, of collapse, of fragmentation, um, and, and the decline of, of industrial civilization. Uh, so, you know, so that, so those are the kind of themes uh, that I try to look at. And I suggest talking about concrete utopia as an alternative to prefigurative politics with the same content, but without that kind of echo of reassurance as if you're fulfilling some kind of preordained historical process, right? And I show in the article how 
uh, movements like the Diggers, for example, in, in 17th century England, which were sort of a Christian anarchist group. Uh, their leader, Win Stanley, in his writings also kind of has, does have a sort of Christian theological view of what they're doing, right, as, as a, a sort of fulfillment of, of prophecy and so on. Um, so that kind of thing does exist, and it, and it, you know, it, it's, it's also something that's traced uh, in the literature. So I suggest, you know, people can look at look at the article for all this content and sort of see how see how that's laid out. It's uh, hard to go, you know, tell all these details uh, in an interview, but it's uh, it's available. And I, you know, I hope it's uh, something that people find accessible and interesting. Yes, I, I will add in a link to the bottom of this show. Um, uh, so could you uh, talk a little bit more about the anarchist uh, theories of means ends? Sure, where, I mean... Where does that come into in our history? I think this is something that, that, is, that is really part of, uh, part of anarchism since, you know, since we can talk about an identifiable anarchist movement. I mean, the, the split in the first international between the followers of Marx and those who were uh, influenced by Proudhon and Bakunin, uh, that split between, between the authoritarian and libertarian sections of the workers' movement uh, occasioned uh, kind of the first and classical expression of, of means ends unity and this circular uh, that was uh, created by anarchists who met in, in Saint-Villiers. It's in, in Switzerland, uh, in, in the Jura Mountains around Bern, where the, you know, the watchmakers there were part of, of the early kind of supporters of anarchism in the, in the uh, international. Um, and that talks about, you know, that if, if we seek a classless society and if we seek a society without borders without government, if we seek a society where uh, there is liberation and equality, then we cannot do that by means of imposition. And we can't use authoritarian means in order to achieve libertarian ends. And at that time, it wasn't, uh, you know, it was it was also about just forming workers' parties to take a parliamentary route. Um, and of course, later, uh, this idea of means and unity was was in opposition to the politics of uh, both the social democrats and uh, the Bolsheviks. So if we look at Emma Goldman's uh, great memoir, uh, My Disillusionment in Russia, she and Alexander Berkman, along with other anarchists, went over to Russia after the after the revolution. Um, and she describes both the hardship, hardships there and, and so on, but also you know meeting with some of the leaders of the Bolsheviks uh, and her and, and seeing this dictatorship start to take shape, um, you know, and with with the uh, suppression of the Kronstadt rebellion and so on, then she she saw that that uh, she was right in her predictions. And the afterword to that kind of summarizes this idea that no no revolution can be a factor of human liberation unless the means used are of the same spirit and the same matter as the end that we seek to achieve. And it's a, it's actually a rather, uh, you know, uh, mundane and, and simple and not, not very uh, uh, striking idea of path dependency, right? The, the road you go depends where, depends where you arrive. And the decisions that are made in earlier stages, uh, you know, the kind of structures that are put in place, the kind of politics that are practiced, they shape their own consequences and they become the ends over time. Means become ends. Uh, and this, this, you know, this idea that you can use 
authoritarian means and then the state withers away. Yeah, this is the basic bone of contention between anarchists and, and uh, authoritarian communists. Uh, so this is really kind of the, the spine of, of anarchist politics throughout its history. And I think, like I said before, it's basically identical with the idea of direct action as well. Because if we're looking for a society that is beyond political representation, which in which human relations are not mediated by artificial, uh, you know, fetishized institutions, whether that's commodities or offices holding authority, um, then our own way of organizing uh, and the example, both in terms of the example we give and in terms of the concrete beginnings that we create of, of different social relations that can expand uh, and, and defend themselves, um, have to also be uh, unalienated, they have to be unmediated, they, they have to reject representation and someone acting on behalf of one and the investment of political power in people by others. Right? And that is out. That is individuals' divestment of their own political power. Um, so that 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 is kind of the you know the basic consistency and coherence of of anarchist politics as as we've known it throughout its history. Um, you anticipated my question about uh, path dependency, and I was interested in understanding how anarchist means ends unity differs from the means ends theorizing of prefigurative politics. This is the referring to the idea of collapsing means and ends into a unity so that they mirror one another, as opposed to establishing a means and ends as determining factors in linear time. Mm-hmm. Um, so many prefigurative theorists have claimed that collapsing means and ends situates their practice as anti-consequentialist in that their model rejects authoritarian values of the ends justifying the means. Is this an accurate definition of anti-consequentialism? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, you know, consequentialism is, is what writers like Ben Franks associate with Lenin's approach, right, of, of what matters is what happens in, in the end. Um, I want to I say, by the way, I mean, it's, I think that on consequentialist grounds as well, we should also reject authoritarian approaches because they don't, in fact, lead to a classless society. Mm-hmm. Right? So even on consequentialist grounds, it doesn't work. Uh, but the ethics is is not consequentialist. It's, it's like, in general, how we evaluate things is, is by their own value in themselves rather than by their instrumental value to to other ends. Um, so, I think that yeah, it is. It, it, there is, we can collapse means into ends, but we still need to also understand that that there are such things as consequences. Now, even if we don't do- judge by the consequences. We, we still know that those consequences are empirically determined by steps taken before them. But the important thing is that the present is not determined backwards by some consequences. Okay? That is what prefiguration to me stands for. Okay? That, 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 the determina- that whatever means-ends relationship exists, I want to emphasize that it works towards the future from the present and, and, and to highlight this kind of recursive idea, which I think is, is problematic. That's, you know, that's, that's the key thing for me there. So uh, you talk about reassurance as a false mm-hmm. reassurance, and that's what yeah. recursive thinking brings to uh, people who are looking from the future back to the present. I think 
you know, just 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 a, a word of background, okay? So so I mean, listeners who are not very familiar with with Christianity or Christian theology might just want to be kind of informed of this. That you know, the, the basic idea of how Christianity has interpreted the Hebrew Bible has been as a forte- foreshadowing of the gospel. Okay, so the idea is that everything that happens in the Hebrew Bible can be interpreted symbolically as a figure that is fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus and the crucifixion and so on. Um, and, and, and that is how classic Christian interpretation of the Hebrew Bible is taking place. Now, the idea that, you know, there is already some predetermined future that, that is casting its shadows backwards on, on the past, on its past. Okay, comes from this Christian approach. I, I also found a, a very interesting article by by Reinhard Koselleck, who is a, a German thinker and writer on history, and he's talked about the disposability of history. And there he talks more about 18th and 19th century people who uh, were thinking that their uh, efforts at social change were being carried on the wave of, you know, modernity and the unfolding of reason and, and it's kind of when the, this idea of making history started to, to emerge, you know, so, but, but he, he also agrees that, that that was a secularized version of the kind of process of reassurance that, that exists in Christianity that we see through all these kind of millennial sects and, and revolutionary groups that were informed by Christianity through the medieval and early modern times. And we see, you know, things like in the in the English peasant rebellion, um, you know, with the diggers that that I mentioned uh, before. Um, so, so you know, I think I think that's that's kind of the thread that I was trying to trace that I associate with this idea of prefiguration. Uh, and I think we need we need to to kind of be self critical about about that. Um, but you know, it doesn't it doesn't really have a, a lot of bearing on the content of of the politics that we do in that sense. Okay. Um, So in addition to the pitfall of false reassurance, you describe another pitfall, which you call uh, the occurrence of privileging the present or presentism. Can you describe what you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there are utterances where on the one hand, people say, okay, we're not waiting for some revolution to happen. We're trying to construct things with our own hands and try and make things, you know, happen today uh, and realize as much as possible our own values and our own ways of being, you know, uh, of of sociality within our own struggles. Um, But then you kind of have a tendency sometimes to not even want to think about how that might fit into a longer-term strategy for change, or um, you know how might how that might fit into a forward-looking vision of you know that that looks forward years or decades. Um, and I think that you know while there is a lot that is valuable about living you know and doing in the present for the present. Um, in addition to the, the the kind of aims of concrete aims of the campaigns themselves, I think that it's important not to let that also, you know, distract us from facing uh, forward and looking into a future that is very uh, insecure uh, for us as, as people who promote social transformation, um, you know, and, and now that we're looking forward to this kind of protracted 
you know, uneven and irreversible collapse of industrial civilization and, and seeking opportunities for, for social change and transformation in, in, in that context, which is beginning to unfold around us. I think we can't be entirely focused on the present. I think, I think it's, it's, it's super important to manifest our values in the present. Um, but I don't think that that should happen also as a way of kind of avoiding looking at the future. Uh, so I'm kind of encouraging people to be, to be bolder in that respect and, and, and to, uh, face, uh, the strategic questions that, that accompany the kind of picture of the future that we now see. Um, let's turn to the alternative that you are positing that to prefigurative politics. Uh, in your essay, you turn to Ant Bloch's concept of concrete utopia. What is concrete utopia and why were you drawn to Bloch's formulation, even though he's a Marxist? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a peculiar kind of Marxist because he's a, he's a European Marxist of the kind uh, that you find in the Frankfurt School. People like Marcuse, Adorno, you know, people like Erich Fromm. Uh, there's people who, come, who kind of take a little bit out of Marx and a lot out of, out of Freud and, and Hegel, arguably, and, and tend to be quite libertarian in their politics. Bloch, I mean, I, I'm not really trying to uh, lift the concept from him because I think that in talking about concrete utopia, he, uh, he does not talk about practical alternatives being constructed. He does not talk about living social change. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he uses that concept to, to, um, to talk about, uh, you know, revolutionary struggles that, 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 that are not, not very clearly placed. But he's, he, I think, I think the, the idea of, you know, he talks about utopia not as kind of something unachievable or as, blueprints and designs for for an alternative society but about the utopian impulse the the desire for a world that is qualitatively better than ours um and you know rather than blueprinting those futures it talks about concrete utopia and trying to bring that into everyday practice um and I think you know he, he would have found much much of interest in these anarchist practices had he not been dismissive of them um, but I think, I think it's a, it's a concept that, you know, could become an alternative. It's more of a terminological kind of argument. Like I said, it's not about the content of, of what goes by this term prefigurative politics. I just don't like this kind of temporal prefiguration resonance there, which I think we should, we don't pay attention to. Okay. Um, so for me, when I think of block, I think of an idea called anticipatory hope. And it's sort of like thinking into the future and always anticipating something positive could potentially come from actions in the present. Mm-hmm. Um, and you speak about catastrophic or anxious hope in your yeah. Head. I mean, again, these are terms that I that I borrow from from the work of Burge Aberal, who did an ethnography with permaculture activists in Turkey. And uh, you know, she goes back to Bloch again to say, okay, if we're talking about you know this idea of 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 the the positive utopian function. What you mentioned about anticipatory anticipatory hope, but then what we anticipate is also like we said. You know these scenarios of uh, you know climate change, uh, biosystem collapse, uh, conflict, and so on. Uh, then 
how does that color, how does that affect our notions of hope? This idea of anxious hope or catastrophic hope, anxious hope is that, you know, okay, something may, may come, may good, something good may come out of these efforts. It's never secure. It's always sort of a maybe, uh, but it's there. Uh, and the catastrophic hope is that somehow, you know, through and because of some of the dimensions of this collapse, it will open up spaces for alternatives to, to build themselves. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, I think, you know, it's, it's again, if we're, if we're looking back to Bloch, then it's just to, to kind of complete that circle of, you know, if, if, if we're reformulating, uh, what he says about utopia and hope, then, then taking that and connecting it to the, to the dilemmas that, you know, that I discuss in this context. Yeah. Yeah. So these are g- g- examples of what you call radical hope. And uh, what would you consider to be unradical hope? I don't know. I think, you know, um, well, unradical hope can be just the hope maybe uh, that, that's, uh, that a lot of people have in the electoral system to yield them some, some, something. I don't know. Um, in general, look, I mean, at, at, at most, this is sort of an invitation for people to reflect on, on, you know, on their own dispositions towards the future, on their own kind of imaginations, uh, in, in, and uh, which, which is sort of a, a subtle thing that we don't always sort of stop to notice, you know, um, there, there aren't like some big political controversies involved here. Uh, it's more, more of, you know, giving attention to our, I guess to our inner worlds as 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 people who struggle for social change. Do you know of any movement practices or projects that could be considered exemplary of gen- generative revolutionary means and ends or concrete utopic? All of them. I mean, <laughs> I think yeah. I mean, I think I think that in as much as you know, to any extent that 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 people are are practicing anarchic social relations as part of what they're doing in whatever context or project or, or struggle or campaign, um, then that's, that's what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, Recently an anarchist manifesto by Glenn Wallace appeared that situates your writings on prefiguration and concrete utopia as dual pillars in contemporary anarchist thought. Do you agree with this placement? Is there a place for prefigurative politics or should the movement turn the page? Um, I don't know about this placement. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure enough people have read my work to make, to make it anything of that, of that uh, significance. I mean, I, I really liked Glenn Wallace's manifesto. I thought it was great. Um, you know, he, he really expresses things very, very clearly and, and openly and, 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 uh, eloquently there. Um, so I did, I really liked uh, Glenn Wallace's Anarchist Manifesto. That's really recommended for people. I mean, of course, I think we should continue with the politics. It's just the, the, the prefigurative part that, you know, I'd suggest a change of terminology there uh, with attention to how we, how we situate ourselves towards the future and what we, what we try not to think about maybe um, through kind of sidestepping that. So, you know, I'd just like to talk about concrete utopia or something like that rather than prefigurative politics, but I hope people might pay attention to kind of these issues that I highlight as a result. So uh, thank you, Uri, for considering my questions and sharing your thoughts about taking anarchism to new philosophical directions. 
just to let everybody know, Uri's work is widely available online. Just do a search for Uri Gordon. That's U-R-I-G-O-R-D-O-N. And I just wanted to thank you again, Uri, because your work on this subject is an important contribution to the movement. And I'm grateful that you are willing to speak with me today. Thank you very much. And thanks for listening. Sunday. I hate it. Let's check Facebook. Ugh, Facebook. What is this? Food not bombs? Cook yummy food? Meet cool people. Stop food waste. No experience necessary. Not Bombs is serving free meals to everyone, Sundays, 4 p.m. at Centennial Square on unceded Lekwungen territory. Come eat with us, drop off food, or support our kitchen. We are looking for volunteers to help chopping, cooking, and serving food, or to help with computer tasks. Check Food Not Bombs Victoria on Facebook to find out where we cook. For inquiries about volunteering and to join our listserv, Please mail to vicfnb at lists.resist.ca or check out our Facebook page, Food Not Bombs Victoria. Food Not Bombs, free meals every Sunday at 4 p.m. at Centennial Square on unceded Lekwungen territory. Free the food!